This is in some way a sad day because this is the last day of our season for our choir and our bell choir. Uh, we will uh, we will take a break uh, this summer and uh, they'll be gearing up for next year. But I just want to say this last uh, musical year has provided some of the most exquisite musical worship experiences uh, that I've had in my 30 plus years here. And so we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for all that you always do. And Catherine, wherever you went, Catherine, we're grateful for you and even when your organ's not working, we're grateful for you. So welcome to worship. The first weekend of June, as Gunnar said, how can it possibly be? It's glorious, and I'm glad you chose to start your Sunday here in the Lord's house. We're continuing with a sermon. By the way, do you notice I'm wearing the robe? I did that in honor of the choir, and then they dressed down. Thank you very much. These youngsters, they're getting less, you know, more and more casual. We're in a, in a series called Game Changers, and we're taking a look at Jesus as he encounters certain experiences in his life that sometimes paralyze us. We're watching how Jesus deals with them, and hopefully we're learning from how Jesus deals with them. Last week, it was rejection. Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and he is just soundly rejected, and he just teaches us how to reject rejection. And keeping with my alliterative instincts, uh, today we're going to watch as Jesus snubs scarcity. He's going to face scarcity and show us how to deal with a scarcity mentality. Jesus performed something like 37 miracles of which we are aware that are recorded in the four Gospels. Uh, And aside from the resurrection, which is, of course, the granddaddy of all miracles, there is only one miracle. Would it surprise you to hear this? Only one miracle that actually appears in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only one. And you might say, well, what, what would those be? Is it the healing of that man at the pool of Bethesda? Nope. Only the Gospel of John. Is it the healing of those ten lepers where one of them comes back, only one comes back to thank them? No, only the Gospel of Luke. Maybe it's the healing of, or the raising up of Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's pretty spectacular. No, it only appears in a couple of the Gospels. As a matter of fact, the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four of the Gospels is the one that we are going to look at this morning. It's the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, or sometimes known as the multiplication of the fish and loaves. So we're going to listen as Jesus teaches and teaches us how to snub scarcity in our own lives. I need to set the context for you. You'll recall last week at the end of uh, his Nazareth experience when he went home that Jesus uh, turned his attention to those who did want him, his apostles, his disciples, and he sent them out on their very first missionary journey. They went out two by two, and Jesus gave them an astounding charge. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to cast out evil spirits. How would you like that to be your assignment? It says, go out, preach the gospel, and heal the sick, and cast out evil spirits. That's what Jesus sent them out to do. We read that they returned from that uh, journey, from that missionary journey. And of course, they must have been exhilarated. But they were also exhausted, Jesus could tell. And so Jesus says, let's go away. Let's get away. You guys need a break. So they hop in Peter's boat and they begin to sail across the Sea of Galilee to some little corner where they can just have a bit of a respite. 
The problem is that the people in Capernaum noticed that they were setting off. And Jesus was something of a rock star. And so the crowds begin to gather on the, the, on the shore. And we read earlier in the passage that they actually are running along the shore trying to keep up with the boat because they want to have more of Jesus. It ends up thousands of people kind of migrating along the shore as the boat is trying quickly to sail away to some sort of a Sabbath. You must, you must imagine that the disciples were a little bit miffed. They're thinking, come on, we can't have a single day off. But Jesus notes the crowd. His heart is moved. We see that we are told that he was moved to compassion because he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he orders the boat to be put into shore and he comes in, he sits down and he begins to teach them. I want you to listen to what happens next. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go out into the surrounding countryside and villages that they might buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And Jesus commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and to set before the people. And he divided the fish, the two fish among them as well. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls of the broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to us through this word. This, this, para, this, this miracle mattered to your early church. It mattered, mattered to the gospel writers. There was something about it that they had to include. So God, what, whatever it is that, that, needs, that we need to hear, would you speak to us now through this wonderful story in Jesus' name? Amen. This is quite a contrast to what we saw last week, isn't it? Jesus shows up in Nazareth, his hometown, where he grew up for 30 years, and they deride him. They mock him. They want nothing to do with him. As a matter of fact, if you look at Luke's account of that same experience, they even try to kill him. So it's quite a contrast when he makes his way 20 miles back down to the Sea of Galilee. And once again, he is inundated with crowds who are eager to hear what Jesus has to say. Basically, they're stalking him. They won't even give these guys a, a day off. They're, they're stalking them. And uh, so he makes his way ashore. And in their amazement, as they listen to him teach, they begin to lose track of time. But you are aware of the loss of track of time because you hear thousands of tummies begin to rumble. And the disciples are concerned. These people need something to eat. 
Cindy and I are moving into a new season of our life, the season of vegetable growers, at least would-be vegetable gardeners. Uh, Here is the view of our new plot. That was a a weed-infested section of our backyard, and we have transformed it into what I hope will be a paradise for tomatoes, or tomatoes, uh, Ellis, and uh, potatoes, or potatoes, um, and uh, lettuce, and radishes, and, and all of the rest that Peter Rabbit doesn't steal from us. We are very excited about partnering with the Lord in the act of creation to make some good stuff for us to eat. I do hope that this time around, though, I'll be more patient than I was when I was a kid. We had a a garden at our home in Yakima. And um, when I came home after school, I would go out and I would dig up one of the carrots to check the progress of its growth. And then I would bury it again and tamp it back down. I did that every day. It turns out that carrot didn't really do very well. So I'm hoping that I can show a little more patience this time because I am quite eager to bite into one of my favorites, which is a vine-ripened tomato. The disciples were impatient too. They were decidedly impatient because they knew that the people were hungry. And so this concern sets up a confrontation with Jesus in which some of the not-so-good qualities of the disciples comes to the surface. I'm going to talk about three of them. They were inclined to shirk, they were inclined to calculate, and they were inclined to forget. They were inclined to shirk, inclined to calculate, inclined to forget. We're going to look at that in just a moment. This verbal sparring match is about to begin. Did you notice it as I recited the passage to you? This back and forth. Then they said, then he said, then they said, then he said. And it started out, and I always love when this happens, it started out when the disciples tell Jesus what to do. This is always a a bad move for them, and it's kind of fun to stand back and just watch what happens. So this is what they do. They come tell Jesus what they do, what to do. They said, this is a desolate place. Thanks, Jesus was saying, I'm sure I didn't know that. This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Uh, Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Send them away, they say. Now, it makes sense. Because there were probably twenty to 25,000 people in that crowd. We're told there were 5,000 men. That's only the men. Uh, there were wives that went with the men. And then those, those Jews typically were a pretty fecund bunch. They produced big families. And so there were likely 20, 25,000 people out there in the middle of nowhere. No golden arches, no McDonald's, no McDavid's or whatever it would have been, uh, it was getting late. And the disciples had this reasonable concern. How are we going to feed this great horde? But don't you just love the tone of voice when they bring that suggestion to Jesus? It isn't, Jesus, pardon me. I know you're right in the middle of a life-changing parable here, but we have a little concern. Or, uh, Lord, perhaps you hadn't noticed. Or, or even better yet, Lord... Uh, We don't know what to do. We got a little problem here. Nope, that's not what they say. The disciples step up to Jesus and say, send them away. Send them away. It's a, it's an imperative. They ordered Jesus to send them away. We might tend to be shocked at their impertinence, except we do the same thing, don't we? How often in your own life do you boss Jesus around? How often do you tell Jesus what to do? How often do you get huffy with him when he doesn't come through for you, when he doesn't dance to the tune that you're playing, instead of trusting him, listening to him, obeying him? Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what the time was. 
And this was a wonderful opportunity of training for the disciples. A wonderful chance to meet the needs of this thousands-fold crowd who would run halfway around the lake because they longed to hear Jesus teach. But when they were faced with this opportunity to minister to this flock, these sheep that Jesus had compassion on, they were inclined instead to shirk. They shirked their responsibility. Did you see that? They pushed it off on Jesus. Jesus sent them away and they pushed it off to the crowd. Let them go out and buy their own dang food. It's basically what they were saying. Instead of asking, Lord, how is it that you would have us meet this need? How many of us are inclined to shirk our Christian responsibility, even now? This is a tough question, but I'm going to put it to you. I want you to be honest, and maybe by asking it this way, it will help bring some clarity, if not some irritation. Ask yourself this question. If everyone in this room were as faithful to the mission of Jesus as I, would it succeed? If everyone in this room were as faithful to the mission of Jesus as you are, individually, how would that mission be doing? If everyone served as faithfully as you, if everyone volunteered as eagerly as you, if everyone gave as generously as you give, what would be our state of mission? When you hear of an opportunity for service, are you quick to sign up? When you hear of a financial need, are you quick to write the check? Or do you pass by the registration table, pass on the offering plate, pass up the opportunity to serve, assuming someone else will carry your share of the load as well as theirs? The disciples were shirkers in that moment. How about you? And if this question irritates you, you might want to pay attention to it. It's normally the questions that irritate you you ought to listen to. It could be that it's the Holy Spirit that's prompting you a little bit and not just the meddling of Pastor Mark or Pester Mark, as you might feel right now. (laughs) Every person in this church has been designed and assigned. Every person in this church has been designed and assigned. Designed with certain spiritual gifts, certain qualities, certain personality traits, and then assigned a certain role in the work of the church that only you can do. If your response when the Lord says, I want you to do this for me, is anything other than I, I, then you are shirking your responsibility. You're doing what the disciples did. You're pushing it away on someone else. You're washing your hands of it. And Jesus says, don't. Don't shirk your responsibility. This is your job. This is your church. This is your mission. These are your people. This is what I've called you to do. Don't shove it off on someone else. What he says specifically is, you give them something to eat. Did you hear it? Pretty clear. You give them something to eat. Their first inclination was to shirk responsibility. Their next inclination was to calculate. To figure out how much it was going to cost them to do what the Lord's telling them to do. They respond kind of snarkily, I think. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, I don't think that was a polite response. I think that was a snarky retort. 200 denarii was a a year's wages. It was a a breathtaking amount of money. And their knee-jerk response to the call of Jesus was, we can't afford this. Are you silly? Which is often why we shirk God's call too. 
We fear how much it will cost. We fear how much time it will take. We fear much, how much energy we have. We fear that we don't have the, the, the gifts to pull it off. And so we hoard these resources that we have accumulated to ourselves because we fear that they will never be replenished. We approach life, we approach ministry, we approach kingdom opportunities with a scarcity mentality. There's not enough to go around, and so I better pull it to myself. And Jesus' response to their question is a simple one. How, how many loaves of ha- do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. He's, Jesus says, don't tell me what you don't have. Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you do have. Go and look and explore and and find resources and then bring them to me and watch and see what I can do with them. So that's what they do. They go out and they return with five loaves and two fish. Now I got to say, if they went into a crowd of 20,000 people and the best they could do was five loaves and two fish... I suspect some of the people in that crowd had a bit of a scarcity mentality too. They see him coming and they're tucking those loaves under their robes and say, Hey, I thought I had to pack a picnic. If they didn't, that's their problem, right? But the best they could come up with is five loaves and two fish. And you think, what is that to feed thousands of people? Turns out it was just enough for Jesus. He commands them all to sit down on the green grass. Notice the little historical tidbit. Here's what I also love about that. Jesus is taking back control. When the disciples came to him, they were commanding him to do this thing. He reminds them who's the commander. And the language is, he commanded them all, including the disciples, to sit down on the green grass. And so they did by hundreds and by fifties. And then he takes the bread that they had found. And he, we are told, looks up into heaven. And he blesses it and the fish. And then he breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples and they begin to distribute it among the people in those groups of hundreds and fifties. I've often wondered what that must have looked like. It is clearly intended to be understood as miraculous. A miraculous multiplying of this flow. So I've often wondered what would happen. Do you break it, give this away and you turn back and it's grown again. And so you break it, give it away and it's, whoa. And, you know, was it just Jesus that was doing it? Were the people invited to be a part of that miracle as well as they passed it on? And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. In the end, between the bread and the fish, which Jesus prayed over, blessed, and gave out, we read that all of them ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Not just tied it over, not just getting by. We read that they were full, satisfied. This amount of bread, a little bit more than this, Serving a crowd 30 times this size. That's pretty miraculous. The central lesson of this part of the story, I think, is simply this. Never minimize your gifts. Never minimize the gifts that you have. Because when we offer Christ what little we have, he multiplies it miraculously. Never minimize what you have. Give it to Jesus and just stand back and watch because he's going to multiply it miraculously. There is never scarcity in the hands of the one who created all things and who gave us everything. There is never scarcity for that kind of a God. So the disciples were inclined to shirk. They're inclined to calculate. 
And finally, they were inclined to forget. Think about what they have experienced in these few previous chapters. They have watched this remarkable Jesus as he's begun to teach. But not only that, he has cast out evil spirits. He's healed people. He has ordered nature to bow to him and calming a storm with his voice, his words. He's even raised a little 12-year-old girl from the dead. Think about that. That's what they have experienced with this Jesus. Not only that... Now they have just done some of that stuff themselves. Jesus sent them out with nothing on, in trust of God and said, I want you to go and do the same stuff you just saw. And we read that they healed the sick. They cast out evil spirits. So not only have they experienced Jesus doing powerful things, they have experienced doing powerful things in the name of Christ themselves. They should have had confidence if Jesus says, we can do this, we can do this. We should have confidence that if Jesus says, we can do this, we can do this. And yet they forget. And they keep forgetting. They doubt and they keep on doubting. And so Jesus gives them a reminder. What's the reminder in the story that Jesus gives to them? Yes, what was it? Do you see? Baskets full of leftovers. Not only did they have enough to go around, they had baskets full of the broken pieces and of the fish, the leftovers from five fishes, five loaves and two fish. Um, how many baskets? Twelve. Mm-hmm. How many disciples? Mm-hmm. One for every forgetful disciple. I can see them carrying those baskets full up to Jesus, dropping them down before him, the sheepish look on their faces, as they are reminded once again of the abundance of this God, this Lord of theirs. I was uh, thinking, as I reflected on this text, about my own lifelong, really, struggle with anxiety. And it struck me that at the core of my struggle with anxiety is the fact that I forget I forget the graciousness of God. I forget the kind of family that he put me in, a family of faith. I forget the, the, the circle of, of Christian people who helped to raise me up. I forget how God gave me opportunities to serve at a young age when I presented my meager gifts to him and he multiplied them. I forget how God gave me a family of my own, a wife who loves me and I'm, I love and kids that I love and adore. I forget of, uh, that God gave me a, a sweetheart church in which he has allowed me to live a, an incredible life of fruitful ministry. I forget the goodness and the generosity and the power of God toward me. I forget too often. He has always cared for me. He has done these things over and over and over and over again. And still I forget. I'm sure none of you feel the same way. I'm sure all of you live in confidence and power and never forget what God has done for you. I sometimes forget, if you hold back on your service, if you hold back on your witness, if you hold back on your generosity, could it be that you're living in a scarcity mindset that you have forgotten how generous God has been to you your whole life? And that is what this table is about. Uh, It is why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
So every time we bring this table out, in, in a sense, it, these, this is our basket of leftovers. It is a way for us to remember God's incredible generosity, his kindness, his abundance. And it is a way to encourage us to dive deeply into the mission that Jesus calls us to do, the mission that is beyond us, the mission that exceeds our own resources, because for Jesus there is no scarcity, there's only abundance. Earlier I pointed out to you that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only one that appears in all of the Gospels. I pondered that this week. Why is that? Is it because it was the most massive of the miracles that involved more people than anyone else? Is it because every person seemed to be a participant and, as it were, a partner in that miracle? Maybe. But I think it became precious to the early church, so precious that every gospel writer had to include it because it was a, for them, it was a reminder. It was a, a miraculous prelude to this supper. You even listen to the language of it. Jesus lifted his eyes. He said a blessing. He took the bread. He broke it. He gave it. It is precisely the language of that last supper when Jesus again blessed, again broke, again gave, again fed. This time it wasn't 12. It wasn't even 20,000. It was the entire world. All who would receive this gift Jesus was offering to them the abundance of his life, the abundance of his grace, the abundance of his salvation. That's the table that is set for you today. And just like on that, in that desolate place 2,000 years ago, if you eat of this meal, all will be satisfied.